So, uh, Nigel, why don't you come up and join me, and uh, we'll pray for you, and look forward to what you're going to share for us this morning. Bless you, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pray together. Let's pray for Nigel. Lord, we do thank you uh, again for this morning. It's uh, great to be in your presence in worship. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us in many ways. Thank you for your capacity to speak to all of us in one go and all of us individually. And we pray for Nigel. We pray that he would sense your pleasure as he shares this morning. We pray that he, that sense of excitement for what you've placed on his heart. And we pray, Lord, we pray that we would receive all that you've got for us and intended for us today through Nigel. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, It's uh, always a blessing to be uh, here in Encounter Church. And uh, I've known Phil and Wendy for a lot of years, and I really thank God for them. In fact, Phil, as I was just praying for the service this morning, I just felt, Phil, you know, the Lord wanted to encourage you. I believe you're a father, and uh, I believe in this next decade, God is going to raise up many sons and daughters uh, under your life. And I just want to encourage you. I think it's one of the the greatest things we can do. When I saw uh, Nat and Becky there, you know, I think to, to be raising up people. And I think God wants to help you to be something of a talent spotter, uh, to see potential in people that they don't see in themselves and then really raise that up and uh, see extraordinary things happen. I mean, uh, I believe that's a great thing to, to desire. Um, I spend um, at least two weeks, sometimes three weeks in Israel every year and uh, I go and take tours and take people around. And I heard a story of a, uh, a rabbi, Rabbi, uh, rabbi Akiva, uh, who lives in Capernaum. That's probably where Jesus lived, had a home there uh, on the, 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 the shore of Galilee. Uh, and uh, Rabbi Akiva was uh, uh, meditating one evening on Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. And it was these words that struck him. It was about a hundred years after Jesus had died, risen again, and gone to heaven. Uh, and he was meditating on these words, but you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servants. And he was walking home. The night was getting very dark. You are my witnesses, O Israel. You are my servants, saith the Lord. And he was really taken up with this verse. You are my witnesses, says the Lord. You are my servants. And he was meditating and he mistakenly took a wrong path. And he, he, as he walked uh, along, so, uh, he was walking, he, unbeknown to him, he thought he was walking home, he was walking to a Roman fort. And the Roman century called out and said, who are you and what are you doing? Who are you and what are you doing? The rabbi said, well, I'm Rabbi Akiva and I've taken the wrong path. But uh, let me ask you, how much do they pay you to ask that question? The man said, well, I get three uh, drachma a week. He said, I will double your wages if you come and stand outside my house. And every time you see me, would you ask that question? Who are you and what are you doing? Well, that's what I want to explore with you. Who are you 
If you're taking a note, note it down. Who are you and what are you doing? I want to take you to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're actually on death row. I always think, that if you, did anyone read John Grisham? Uh, if you read a John Grisham novel, I've often thought he's a Christian. He teaches a Sunday school class in his church every week. And, uh, you know, I'd love to get his tithe in my church. Amen. Uh, but uh, there you go. Uh, but uh, I often think 2 Timothy chapter 4, because there's been a miscarriage of justice. The Apostle Paul has been accused of being a revolutionary, of preaching another Lord other than Caesar, and he's been found guilty and sentenced to death, and in a few days, he's going to be taken to the electric chair, or the New Testament equivalent, and his life is going to be extinguished. I want to just suggest to you, when when your life is ending, you don't bother about trivia, I've been a pastor for over 40 years, a good while over 40 years, and uh, I've spent many times with people on the last moments of their life on earth. Nobody ever says, I wish I spent more time at the office. Nobody ever says, I wish I'd have got that car. Uh, Nobody ever says, I wish I'd have had that cup final ticket. You know, they, they talk about things of real crucial importance. And here the Apostle Paul, and I just want to introduce you to four New Testament church members. And then I want to just ask, do you recognize anybody? Is that okay? So this morning when you were putting on your mascara or checking yourself before you left the house, or guys, if you were shaving, or if you were just saying, am I good enough, you know, to go out? Well, maybe you will recognize yourself in at least one of these people. And so let's just read the passage, all right? uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. I've fought a good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those guys in Encounter Church who love God too. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Titus to Ephesus. And when you come, bring my coat that I left with the uh, carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. For Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but... It's great to have some buts in the Bible. But the Lord stood at my side and strengthened me that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear about it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
It's a fabulous piece of scripture and I just want to introduce you, if I may, to four New Testament church members. The first person is mentioned in verse 10. It says, Demas has abandoned us, he's deserted us, and he's run away to Thessalonica. Now, we know a fair bit about Demas. Uh, He's mentioned in the book of Philemon, uh, verse 24. He's mentioned in the book of uh, Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 14. And there, the apostle introduces him and says, Demas, my co-laborer. My fellow uh, apostle, he's part of my apostolic team, my co-worker in the work of ministry. Just want you to think about it for a moment. If the apostle Paul, and all we know him to be, introduces someone as their co-worker, I want to suggest to you, you're a pretty red-hot, zealous, fervent follower of Jesus. You agree? And here Paul says, Demas has given it up. He's abandoned. He's run away. It's actually one of the little verses, I think, authenticate the reality of the Bible. That it's a true record. You can trust your Bibles. You see, if I was telling you a little synopsis of my 43 years in ministry, I would probably uh, conveniently forget certain things. (laughs) I'd forget some of my big mess-ups. I would forget some of the people that deserted along the way. I would tell you a whole catalogue of wonderful, exciting, breakthrough things. But here Demas has deserted. I just want to say this to you that, uh, could I ask you this? Are all your best stories old stories? You know, when you go to your small group and you start to talk about what God has done, do you find yourself talking about what happened five years ago? Or 20 years ago? In my case, 50 years ago? Or are you able to say, this week, God answered a prayer. This week, I was able to talk to a colleague. This week, uh, God helped me break through in a situation because I think one of the dangers along the Christian life is that if we're not careful, we can lose heart. Is this making sense to anybody? Sometimes you get discouraged. Sometimes life has a way of coming along and slapping you and you can be disorientated. But I just want to say, my brothers and sisters, Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want to encourage you, keep following after Jesus. I think this example of a man, it's interesting because he went to Thessalonica. Now we know in Thessalonica, there were many ancient towns and cities in the ancient world where there was no church. But in Thessalonica, there was a large, vibrant, growing church. And it just could be that Demas didn't want to totally dissociate himself from Christ. Maybe he wanted to go to a a really large city church of hundreds and hundreds of people where not too much was expected of him and he could just sit in and sit back and enjoy the ride. I don't know. That's a danger sometimes. But I think, you know, one of the wonderful ways we can keep on going with God is keep our serving quota really high. 
Keep on blessing others. Keep on ministering to others. The proverb says those that minister to others will themselves be built up and strengthened. So I think here we see a little bit of a warning. I call it failed love. The second person I want to introduce to you is Luke. In verse 11 it says, Only Luke is with me. Now we know a lot about Luke. Luke was a physician. He had trained, maybe like some of the medical people in this, he had trained for seven years to be a doctor, a physician. And here he was, he carried out his healing work. It was, of course, it was Luke, you know. um, uh, Have have you ever met some of those irritating detail people? You know, I'm married to somebody like that, you know. uh, uh, You know, if we're going to do anything... Um, you know, like go away, a, a list appears in, in, the, in the kitchen and all 23 things have to be done in the next nine days before we go away. Uh, you know, she happens to be a teacher, like we were praying for earlier, and I think teachers have this kind of built into their DNA. They, they're brilliant people. And, uh, uh, but, um, you know, I, you know, I can go shopping and fill the supermarket trolley easily. I mean, who needs a list? I mean, I can fill it with all the important ingredients that no home should be without, you know, chocolate, you know, biscuits, uh, you know, I don't think about toilet cleaners and all of that sort of thing. But I think Luke was like that. He was a, a, an eye for detail. He wasn't only a doctor, he was a historian. He mentioned times, dates. That's why the Holy Spirit used his uh, personality type and said, I want you to write Luke's Gospel and the Acts of the Apostles because you'll be accurate. You know, you'll mention the right places and the right times and the right details. He was just a brilliant guy. But the thing I want you just to draw you back in and say this, where is Luke right now in, in, Acts, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4? He's alongside Paul when Paul is about to die. See, everybody else had abandoned him. Someone said the church is the only army that abandons its wounded. I love the fact that when Paul is on death row... Luke says, I'm going to come and visit you every day. I'm going to come to every visiting hour. I go to several prisons regularly. And if you think a prison is an easy, cushy number, you'd better wake up. I go to prisons regularly and go and visit prisoners and sit with them. And I know how hard it is for them. And some of them deserve to be there. I'm not arguing about that, but we need to minister to those who are in prison. But, but Luke went to the Apostle Paul regularly. He took a Red Cross parcel, maybe some magazines. He tried to encourage him and strengthen him. A lot of my life over the last 15 years or so, I've spent a lot of time trying to build up and encourage church leaders. Whenever I'm with a group of church leaders, sometime we'll get a whiteboard out and we'll say, what does it take to build strong, vibrant, health, community-loving churches in the 2022s? What does it take? We start putting up this, well, you need a great children's program. 
We need a great youth program. We need good worship, good facilities. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we, we need some fun and activity. We need some social things. We need good car parking. We need c- communicating preachers. We need, we, need, we need a whole range of things. Let me tell you the thing I think is the most important thing in 2022 if we're going to build healthy, life-giving churches. Friendly people. You say, well, Nigel, that doesn't sound very Holy Ghost. That doesn't sound very dynamic. I thought you were going to say miracle workers. You know, sometimes the last thing you need if you're going through a crisis, and listen, you better, we know that our country is in crisis. You might be able to bubble along on the top and it doesn't affect you, but our country is in crisis. I queued up behind someone in the supermarket, a young mum with three days just this week, and she, she said to the lady at the till, she said, when it gets to 40 pounds, stop. That's all I've got. And there are a lot of people that are worried right now. A lot of people that are worried. And I just want to say, my friends, that we need to be lovers of people. It's so important that we do that. You know, we live in an individualistic way of life. I think that individualism has been accelerated and lifted up for the last four decades. But we need to reflect a new ideology. We're community. We love one another. We serve one another. We're there for one another. We support one another. And I want to say, my friends, friendship is so important. I can't overstate it to you. When these new students arrive in the next few weeks at your church, will you please look out for them? Would you just go and smile and say hello? And listen, you don't have to have a tattoo and a piercing. It's all right to be a grandparent. My, my, my daughter went to Leeds University and she went to a church on her first Sunday, didn't know the church, walked in the door. It's mostly older people. And she said there were two older ladies in the church said, come and sit with us. Let us get you a cup of tea. And she said they were so kind to her in a time of change. So we can all do that. It means the world to just be a friend. And when I look at the Luke here, I see in him a tremendous example of just someone that said, Paul, when they come and unlock your cell and take you to the execution chamber, I'm going to walk by your side. And when they execute you, I'm the last person you're going to see because I will be your friend. Let me tell you, That's one of the greatest gifts. The Bible says, let the love of God be shared abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Allow God to give you that ministry of befriending people. So why don't you just look out sometimes in church? Is there someone that... You see, a a servant-hearted Christian doesn't say, come into church and say, well, no one welcomed me this morning. They say, I wonder if there's anyone that's on their own. Who can I welcome? A servant-hearted Christian that's overflowing with the love of God doesn't say, no one invited me out for a coffee. I've been here six months and no one's once ever invited me for a coffee. They look around and say, I wonder if there's someone I could invite for coffee. And Just think, 
You say, well, Nigel, I haven't got very much. You know, I've got a car. You've got a car. Do you mean you could say to a single parent with two little boys, uh, listen, on Saturday we're going to go to a picnic in the Licky Hills and we would love it if you would just come with us. We'd be honoured. Now, if you've got a posh car and you don't like Maltesers on the back seat, then buy a cheaper one. Or buy a blanket. Or next time you're cooking a meal, couldn't you just book, book, cook an extra portion and just take it to your neighbor and just say, we just want to just encourage you. You see, a card, a greeting card, a letter, a text, a, a smile, just being friendly, it means the world. And it's what transforms communities. So important. And so I, I, I see in Luke a tremendous example of what I call authentic love. The third person I want you to just notice here, Paul says, please bring John Mark to me because he is profitable or useful in the ministry. Now we know a lot about John Mark. Uh, some of you know I was the principal of Regents College for 10 years. And so in Bible school we would do uh, Deep analysis of John Mark. And after 40 years of being a Christian leader, studying this stuff, I believe John Mark was a mummy's boy. I believe he was pretty spoilt. I believe when he came home from school, his mum would say, look, sit in the recliner, here's the remote and a slice of cake, we're having chicken and peas for tea. I'm pretty sure he never... Um, made his bed. I, I believe he never, he never discovered where the laundry basket was. In fact, I know some big boys that have never found that, you know. Uh, you know, we, we've got to the moon, but the laundry basket, my goodness, where is that, you know. I, I think he was a little bit like that. Now, you're looking at me saying pretty unbelieving, aren't you? Let's find out if I'm right. In, look in Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. Acts chapter 12 is where Peter is rescued from prison, uh, from that prison. And he goes, it says, in Acts chapter 12, I've brought a little Bible with me this time because I, last one I forgot, I left it here and I, so I brought a little one, so I've just got to find it. Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. It just says, when Peter is, it says, when Peter had, when it had dawned on Peter, he says he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. So John Mark was brought up in a, a Christian home. I think sometimes at night, you know, the, the women got together and prayed downstairs. I think some nights he knocked on the, the bedroom door. Hey, mom, can you ask those women to quiet down a bit? You know, they're getting, you know, really excited about God. Would you quiet them down? So he was brought up there. And then if you look in chapter 13 and verse 13, it says there, well, what's happened here? Uh, remember that when you turn over one page of your Bible, it could be two years later. So just remember that, because sometimes people read it and say, well, miracles were happening every day, extraordinary things. Well, remember, that, you know, sometimes, you know, it could be two years. Two years later, he goes on a missionary trip. He goes with Paul and Barnabas, and they go on a missions trip. They go overseas, so maybe they've left here, and they've gone over to Romania or the Ukraine, and they're ministering. And help me here, look, join in here, all right? 
I think he gets homesick. Or say, ah. Oh. He's missing mummy. He has to eat foreign food. He has to make his own bed. Ah, oh, and he's missing, he's, 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 you know, it's, it's really hard for him. Once more. And he, what he does, he goes home. He, he decides, I've had it. I can't do it. I'm going to go. Look what it says in chapter 13, from pa- verse th- chapter 13, verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Persia in Pamphylia, where John Mark left them and ran home to mum. Can you see that? that, that that's, that's the verse. And uh, he, he runs home. You see... Uh, have you ever heard this, this saying, when the going gets tough, the tough get... Oh, well, we'll do it once more, okay? When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, John Mark's view was different. Uh, his view was when the going gets tough, run home to mum. By the way, if you've got a good mum that loves you, that's a great move, actually. Thank God for mums. Can we hear it for mums? Uh, amen. Uh, but... Um, he, he, he ran home. In fact, uh, remember who, who wrote John Mark's Gospel? Remember? It was John Mark. Now, in John Mark's Gospel, do you remember it says, in, when they were, came, the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you remember that? It says there was a young boy there who ran away, leaving his clothes behind. Some of you are looking at me like, that isn't in the Bible. Well... Tell me, Isaac, it is there, isn't it? It's absolutely there, all right? In my, now, who could that be? See, it's not, he's not mentioned in Luke's Gospel. He's not mentioned in John's Gospel. Not mentioned in Matthew's Gospel. He's only mentioned in Mark's Gospel that when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, there was a young boy there who ran away and left his clothes behind. Well, in all probability, it was John Mark giving an autobiographical account. Listen, there was something deep in the character of John Mark that when the going get tough, he quit. I don't know whether that characteristic is in you. There's certainly been some times in my life where I've wanted to run. And sometimes when I have run. Now listen, what it says in Acts chapter 15 and verse 36. Remember, maybe two years, three years later, look in Acts chapter 15 and verse 36. It just says this. It says, Sometime later, Paul and Barnabas set, uh, uh, set back to visit the brothers and the towns where they had preached the word of the Lord and seeing how they were doing. So what they're doing, they're having a missionary planning meeting. They're saying, listen, it's been two, three years since we visited the Ukraine and Romania and France and we need to go back and visit all the churches there. And Barnabas, look in the next verse, has this great idea. Uh, why don't we bring John Mark on the trip? And all the colour wanes out of Paul's face. Do you mean the mummy's boy? Do you mean the guy that quit? The guy that couldn't stand? Uh, we, he's, he's too, no, that's no good. We can't have him. Uh, and, and actually, if you read the Bible, again, one of the things I think makes the Bible very authentic is they had a fallout and an argument about it. And Barnabas took on Paul, uh, took on John Mark, and took him forward. But I say all of that as the background to say this. How extraordinary that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 
that the Apostle Paul, when he's about to die, he says this, please bring John Mark to me. You look at what it says, because he is profitable and useful in the ministry. How wonderful is that? There'd obviously been a restoration of that relationship. But I want just to say this loud and clear for everyone to hear. Listen, failure isn't fatal. Maybe there's somebody here and you know you messed up big time. And then other people know about it and you sit there thinking, Lord, I can never do anything wonderful for you because I know I let you down. Or maybe there's another person here, nobody knows, but you know that you, you failed your own standards. But I want to have a good news to you. Join the club. You know, one of the dangers with guys like me standing behind things like this, we look like we've got it all together. You know, we're, we're just brothers and sisters, amen? Sometimes we don't get it all right. Sometimes we, we mess up. Sometimes we don't make wrong choices. But listen... Failure isn't fatal. God is able to restore and he's able to uh, make, to put things together and correct our mess ups. Amen. And remember that. Remember that, brothers and sisters. And when I look at John Mark, I look at faltering love. And so I don't know if you've recognized anybody. Demas, he was the one that I call it failed love, Luke, authentic love, Mark, faltering love. But there's one other person I just want to show you here, uh, and that's the Apostle Paul. I think probably for me, I've read the New Testament many times, and I would say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is at his most open. He really lets us see inside his humanity. I really enjoy reading modern biographies of Christian leaders because I think the ones that I read when I was a boy, 40 years ago, most of them, they looked like, like Leonard Ravenhill, Why Revival Tarries, you know, and the guy said, you know, anybody that doesn't get up and pray three hours before breakfast shouldn't even consider being in the ministry. Wow, that's a strong thing. You know, and he, these guys, you know, you should be incredible people, never, you know, have a perfect marriage, have perfect kids, have, make perfect decisions, everything is great, you know. I just want to say it doesn't measure up to my life, whereas I, I, I hear a lot more reality these days from people saying, do you know what, I'm, I'm struggling. What I love about, let, let's just look at, uh, at Paul in this first. Listen what he says. Look at the pathos in verse 10. Remember where Paul is? He's on death row facing imminent execution. And he says, please bring John Mark to me. He's saying, I I would love just to hold my son in, in my arms. I'd love to see his face. I'd love to see him. Please bring John Mark to me. I think he was lonely. Have you been lonely? They say loneliness amongst uh, young people is a sky-high proportion. And be very aware, my daughter used to work at the university 
Birmingham University and she said how that they were very concerned that some students would leave home, turn up at university and it would be sometimes days before they came out of their room. People that are lonely. People that need that someone to just share with. And I think here Paul is saying, he says, I want to see John Mark. Please bring him. Can you, get, can you see the pathos in that? Then look what it says. He says, uh, he says, in verse 13, he says, Please bring my winter coat. I think he's cold. Have you ever been lonely? And you've been cold. And then look what else he says. And he says, Please bring my parchments, my books. You know, I, I'm not an intellectual and I'm not an in- academic, but I worked with them for 10 years. And I know how to wind them up. What you do is you lock up their libraries and turn off their computers and they go into cold turkey. And Paul was a towering intellectual. He was an Oxbridge PhD. That's why the, the, the Lord Jesus had him kind of write most of the New Testament for us. Wouldn't have been any good for me to write it. It would have been just too simple. Just love God and love people. Yeah, finish. But he uses his genius of his mind. And I think Paul, imagine him. He's lonely. He's cold. He's bored. There's one other thing I notice about him. Look what it says. He says, at my first defense, have you noticed it? In verse, uh, it's there. He says, at my first defense, nobody came to to defend me. Imagine your barrister said, listen, you need to appear in Birmingham Crown Court tomorrow morning and you know, the, the, the evidence is stacking up against you. I don't know if I can get off. What would really help if there were some character witnesses? Could you get half a dozen character witnesses who would come and stand in the dock and witness to the fact that you're a, a good woman, a woman of integrity, a woman who can be trusted, a man of integrity? And so Paul goes along and he looks in his contact list and he goes through Romans 14. Romans 14 is a membership list of the church in Rome. And we know from the names that appear, there's a lot of names. Because, you you know, in our country, uh, if you've got a double-barreled name, you know know you're posh, don't you? I mean, mean, you don't live on a council estate. You live across town, you've got the big house on the side. You know, you're a a posh person. And we know some of these ancient names, they were posh people. And then there were people from Caesar's household. There were people from the military and the aristocracy. Some of the leading citizens, men and women, were leading citizens of Roman public and civilian life. And Paul is on trial because he's a believer in Christ. And he contexts all his friends, says, would some of you come to court and stand up and witness to the fact that I'm a man of integrity? Look what 2 Timothy chapter 4 says. He says, no one, not one person came to defend me. How many of you think that hurt Paul? 
wiggle your toes if a Christian has ever hurt you. I, I didn't ask you to put your hands up. That, you know, If you helped some Christian would come through from you and that they just didn't at the time and you felt hurt. You see, lots going on in this little back chapter, isn't it? Here is Paul saying, see beneath the, just the words, he's saying, the great Apostle Paul, that we all love and admire, here he's saying in his humanity, I'm lonely right now, I'd love to see John. I'm cold, I want my winter coat. I'm bored, I want my books that will stimulate my mind. I'm really hurting because why didn't those Christians support me? I wonder if any well-meaning Christian, have you ever met a well-meaning Christian? Uh, Yeah, they mean well. Have you ever met them? So you're going through a real crisis, you know, you, 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 know, you need a job and you need, a, you need some finance and you, you just say, would you, would you say, and they say, well, yeah, but just remember this word, my God will provide all of your need according to his riches in glory. You know, rather than saying that to someone, sometimes it's better to go to your deposit account and withdraw 200 pounds and just say, Listen, we just want to bless you. But I wonder if anyone went to Paul and said that, Paul, you know, this is a bit of a negative confession. Have you ever met those people? You're not allowed to be negative. You know, it's, it, it, well, this is a bit of a negative question. What are you doing saying you're lonely, you're cold, you're bored, you're, you're hurting? Uh, uh, haven't you read the scripture that says, my God will provide all your needs according to his riches in glory? Well, the Apostle Paul would say, actually, I do know that verse. In fact, I wrote it. And if you actually read the wider context of that verse, I think it's in Philippians. I didn't plan to say this, so I'm saying it anyway. But if you get the wider context, it actually Paul says, and I am persuaded that I am able to be content with nothing and also content with plenty. He said, that's, that's my God. He says, sometimes there are times there are... Anyone know any lean times? Have you, anyone ever had, there's more month at the end of the money? Have you ever had that? That, that happens, perhaps it only happens to work my family. You know, that perhaps doesn't happen to you. But I just want you to see here, I want to just say this, brothers and sisters, it's all right to cry. It's all right sometimes to cry, to say, you know, just right now, life is hard. And it may be, it may be that sometimes you come, you, even coming to church was an effort this morning. And it may be you said, Nigel, life is really hard for me right now. And I, I just, I'm really concerned. Do you know what? It's all right to cry. I love what Paul says in this letter. He just says, but the Lord stood at my side and strengthened me. I want to say, brothers and sisters, when you cry out to God, he will see your tears and he will come and he will strengthen you. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Brothers and sisters, also, let's be ready to be that friend to one another. Sometimes we just need an arm round the shoulder, a, a smile, just a text on a Monday morning to say, I'll be praying for you. I know it's going to be a hard week for you. That can mean the world. And so I don't know if you've recognized anybody. Maybe there's someone here and you say, well, I, I identify with Demas. I, though no one knows, I feel like I'm walking away. Please don't walk away. Allow God to pour his love into your heart again. Share with some. Maybe you're like a Luke and you just, you know that that's your gift. You love people. You're always blessing others, encouraging others, being a friend to others. Just ask God, Lord, sometimes my love evaporates. Will you fill me with your love so I can go on doing this work of being a friend to others? Maybe you're like a John Mark and you know that you've failed. Listen, we've all failed. But God is greater than your failure and he wants to forgive. Or maybe you're like Paul. And the truth is you're hurting. And Jesus says, I want to come and I want to strengthen you and stand by your side. Would you stand with me? And we're just going to pray and then pastor is going to come. Let's stand together for a moment. Loving God, I just thank you for this large congregation. Hundreds of, uh, or lots and lots of men and women, Lord, who really love you. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray, Lord Jesus, if there's anybody who feels that there's some distance between you and them and maybe they have failed, Lord, I thank you that you said if we confess our failure, if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just and you will forgive us. Thank you, Lord, that you're full of grace and mercy. And Lord, right now we just receive your forgiveness and Lord, we run back into your arms. And Lord, I just pray for any people that are like Luke. They have that gift of just being a friend to others. And Lord, I just pray that you will pour in that supernatural love of God, that it will be shed abroad in their hearts. And Lord, I thank you for all the new friendships they're going to make and how they're going to reach out to people, even this week. And some of the new people that will be joining this church in the next few weeks, Lord, they're going to just be there for them. They're going to care for them. They're going to love them in Jesus' name. Thank you for the ministry of friendship. Lord, help us to be friendlier to one another. Help us to support one another through whatever comes, whatever the future holds. And then finally, Lord, we just pray for anybody like Paul, who just are hurting. Life has somehow been cruel. And Lord, we remember those words. You said, cast all your care upon me, for I care for you. And Father, I pray the Lord Jesus himself will come and stand by that person today. And Lord, as we just continue to wait in your presence, that you will strengthen them. And Lord, that they will know your divine protection all over their life. Thank you that the Lord is my shepherd I'll not want. And Lord, may that shepherding love just bring comfort to that troubled heart today. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we give the Lord a clap offering? He's a good God. He's a good God. Amen.